You're listening to Nowhere to Run with Chris White on the Revelations Radio Network. everyone welcome to nowhere to run thank you for tuning into this show however it is that you found it whether it was through revelations radio network the revere radio network the black vault radio network itunes youtube google searches whatever happy that you're here if you have any questions about anything that i've said or need any advice or anything like that that i you think that i might be able to help with you can always contact me at my um, email address which is nowhere to run 1984 at gmail.com and you can also hit the contact button on my website, nowhere2runradio.com, or comment on the particular articles on the website. So you can do that. Also, one new thing that you can do is sign up for the email list. And I'm going to use the thing that's on the website at the moment at the top where you can sign up for email updates. It automatically sends you an email update when new shows come out. And if you're signed up for that on the NowhereToRunRadio.com site, then you're automatically going to be added to the email list. If you're not signed up for that, then, uh, well, you'd want to if you want to receive the email updates. Basically, it's just going to describe some of the things. I don't really have a forum to mention. Things like links to radio interviews I may have done that month that aren't discussed in the show or in any other forum, links to videos I may have done or just projects that don't get mentioned for, for whatever reason. So, uh, in fact, there's a radio interview tonight, Monday, the 22nd, with Doc at Freedomizer Radio. I actually don't know what the subject is tonight. I emailed him just a minute ago and asked him if there was anything I needed to be brushing up on, so I don't know what to tell you that's going to be about, but it will be good because it's always good with Doc. He's a really well-prepared guy. I really like doing interviews with him. If you want me to do interviews on your podcast or radio show, just send me an email. Usually I have uh, all the time in the world for that kind of stuff, so if you have any questions on a particular subject or, or whatever, I'd be happy to uh, to join you. Um, okay, moving on. The next thing I wanted to mention was Verse by Verse. We skipped last week because of an interview that I was doing, and uh, but we are going to, of course, be doing it this week. Tonight, actually, we'll be recording that, so should be up early tomorrow morning. I've been doing a lot of editing on those particular ones because I'm trying to edit out our uhs and you knows. I don't know why, for, for whatever reason, in this particular series, I've I've decided to try to do that. It's really a tough thing. There's a lot of us and you knows going on, and I know I do it now, and I know if people are listening now, they're going to like start going crazy by all the you knows that I say and us, but I have determined to try to get really better at speaking in terms of those kinds of things, and also I know if you've been listening to this show for any length of time, you notice that I talk too fast and get my words and ideas wrong because I talk too fast. And also, I will get off track and drop whatever subject I was about to talk about in favor of whatever subject that just popped into my mind. And I know that's annoying, and I'm going to try to work on that by thinking and talking slower. Another thing with verse by verse that I've decided to do is to, in addition to going through Matthew 24, I'm going to go through the book of Psalms just by myself because it's something that uh, me and my wife just started doing. We 
we're going to start with Psalm 1 and just go on through. So I figured as long as I'm doing research for uh, for that Bible study, I might as well kill two birds with one stone and to go through the Psalms with you all as well. So Psalm 1 will be what we'll start with. I'm not sure. I, I guess, you know, we kind of do it on a weekly weekly basis, one Psalm per week. So it'll probably be a little looser than the verse-by-verse studies where I tend to be a little more thorough with each verse. In this this situation, I might not hit every verse. I'll just, I'm going to hit the, the main themes and just try to understand uh, each psalm and what's going on there. So I'm really excited about that. It also give you an opportunity if, if, you know, I know we're going through prophecy stuff in Matthew 24 right now, and I know that there's a lot of different views on prophecy, and it might be, for some of you, just feel useless to listen to some prophetic standpoint that you may or may not agree with. So it gives an opportunity to continue to uh, go through the word stuff that we all can definitely agree on the awesome psalms there the treasury of david as spurgeon called it he did a spurgeon did a lot of well, a lot of work but one of the things he did was a lot of he he wrote a two volume set called the treasury of david going verse by verse through the psalms so that'll be an interesting thing i finally get a chance to really read through some of that stuff Another show note before we get started is a new show on Revelations Radio Network. I'm happy to announce that the Tim and Mike show is up. The bio over there on their show says, A show about Christian struggles in a modern world, encouraging each other and speaking the truth in love. And they are doing this show on TalkShoe in the same slot that the Frank and Chris show was. And you may know their handles, for they were around the Frank and Chris show quite a lot. The Supercharger Man and Keg Slinger are both the hosts, otherwise known as Tim and Mike, and they are picking up uh, that fellowship that was uh, growing so well with the Frank and Chris Show. A lot of people were really enjoying those times together on Wednesday nights, uh, starting at, I guess it's 9, nine Eastern is when they, when they start. So we will hope to see you all there. And the final note before we get started will be on the David Icke Project. Uh, that thing is a monster of a project, and I thank you for your prayers. And please continue to pray for me about that. It's just been a, a very difficult uh, project, but uh, I'm halfway through the script, hopefully, by the end of the week, I'm sure I'll have a few uh, good hours to work on it and should be done with that that script by the end of the week and start production in terms of the video itself and it's all downhill from there really so uh i don't know when to tell you it'll be out but i got a little bit of um solace in what was watching some matrix movies the, uh, the other night to sort of get some idea about i mean if you know david ike he's sort of his religion in a lot of ways is, is the religion of the matrix. Like the, the story that's in the matrix, he's sort of ex, you know, used as his literal belief system, throwing in a little bit of, uh, Talbot's, uh, holographic universe to sort of pad it and what makes it sort of quasi plausible, but it's, it's not for lots of different reasons. But anyway, what I'm talking about is in watching some of the extras on those matrix movie about matrix movies, about the making of them and stuff like and how just amazingly hard of a task it was. And I am not comparing at all what I'm doing to, to the Matrix movies, but I am saying that uh, anything worth being done is worth being done right. And that has never been a motto of mine because 
<laughs> I usually just do things really, really um, hastily and fast, and that's that's really been what I what I do in terms of videos. So, going to change things up a little bit with this one, and the thing should be done pretty quick after the script is written. I also wanted to mention that if you wanted to pray in addition to the help in, in writing and in, in producing the thing, but also in addition to that, if you could pray for the effect of it to have the desired effect, which is to uh, reach out to the world of conspiracy and to hopefully get them to see um, what's happening, what their truth is. I think that that you, you'll agree this is an excellent way to once you see the movie to be able to say this is this is a picture perfect example of of how we're all getting tricked to and just because we uh think that we know all there is to know about conspiracy it uh it, a good actually line that I might use from the from the matrix movies is is the merovingian who says uh something to the effect of the why is the question with if you don't know the why then you don't know anything then you're you're being deceived if you if you don't know why it's happening and i think that that would be an excellent question to ask those people that are so confident in the in their knowledge about the new world order and what they're being taught about everything but do you really know why they're doing it i mean nobody ever really teaches you why is it just because they want more power doesn't really add up if you if you do all the math because of the length of time. I mean, really, the the best conspiracy theorists recognize that that's not a, a solid answer, and so they go to ridiculous other places. For example, Ike goes to the reptilians in sort of a global thing, and then Tassarian does the same thing. You know, it's 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 a much bigger thing. They're trying to get off world, and you know, it, it has to go sci-fi to explain why. And everybody knows that their whys don't really make sense and that they all disagree. And so the question is, can you demonstrate with any reasonable amount of certainty why they're doing this? And if you don't understand why, then why would you think that you are in a position to determine what is and what isn't um, disinformation? I mean, without any... Um, without any framework from which to to determine those things, you, we're all sort of guessing. So I think the Ike thing is going to be a wonderful way to show people without any doubt that uh, this specific thing that he is teaching, is, which is embodied in all of the New Age, which is embodied in all of the conspiracy movement, the elements that he does retain uh, consistently throughout his career, and that have been preached in every possible corner in every possible way, whether it's uh, New Age conspiracy stuff or if it's occult stuff or if it's, um, you know, mainstream um, Oprah stuff. We're all getting taught the same thing, 2012, whatever, whatever, name it all. It all has to do with the coming evolution, a spiritual evolution, which I would submit that another person who liked theosophy very much very much believed in that fifth root race of the spiritual evolution. And his name was Hitler. And that we have precedent to recognize that this particular viewpoint of the possibility of spiritual evolution can be used uh, very negatively. I, I like uh, one of the quotes from David Icke 
talking of Blavatsky and of her influence on Hitler, he says, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with Blavatsky, only that her views were used by Hitler. And of course, uh, we see so much that Ike believes, which is exactly like Hitler. In fact, one of the one of the greatest things and the biggest secret he he uses to to, to they both believe in the Hollow Earth because Blavatsky wrote about the Hollow Earth and Isis unveiled and also in uh, the Secret Doctrine. So the Nazis, of course, believed in the Hollow Earth, and then Ike believes in the Hollow Earth too because he's a big theosophist, which nobody really knows, but they'll know soon enough. And he uh, his reasoning behind that and the biggest secret is that the Nazis believed it. His biggest proof is that, well, the Nazis believed it. So, you know, how wrong could they be? Anyways. Okay, so I am going to do the show. This is basically going to be a semi-structured rant about legalism, especially a rant for new Christians. Although I think this rant applies to all Christians. And one of the reasons I think that is because of reading through the book of Luke, as I have been lately, it really hit me that almost every one of these situations that we are being taught is framed in the situation of Jesus talking with the Pharisees, who obviously were very religious and legalistic and and almost every situation, every parable, every uh, opportunity that Jesus uses to to teach us is springboarded from some grievous error that they have about their outlook on religious life. Now they believed the truth. They, it, you know, they would they would be if you ask them all the stuff, they would be you know just believers and everything else. You could not pick them out of a crowd in terms of their theology. It was probably really pure theology, good doctrine, but they were very legalistic and their heart was far from God. So I want to talk about this. I guess what I meant to say about that um, is that it's really important for us to to learn. And that's one of the reasons I think there's so much information in the Bible about legalism, because we're all vulnerable to it. Whether you are a new Christian or an old Christian, legalism has an opportunity to um, infiltrate your your belief system, and it shouldn't be there. There's lots of different types of legalism and different degrees. It can be legalism that's like uh, about your salvation. You know, you have to do certain things and act a certain way, and and repent hard enough and, you know, and all this stuff. And then, and then, and if you do this and get this cleaned up or whatever you could have, or the Catholic view of, you know, the seven sacraments and everything and, and salvation could be very much works-based and legalistic, or it could be a legalism that has to do with your, your keeping of your salvation that you might have to do a certain amount of things or don't do a certain amount of things in order to retain your salvation. And, and all these kind of things can in the details even if you would say no, no, I don't, I don't believe that. But the details uh, of that, even though they might be subtle, uh, can can start to become bigger and more prominent in your thinking, even if it's not in your theology. So you may understand that we are saved by grace and not of works, and even that not of yourselves, uh, um, so that no one can boast. I mean, that's 
that's really what separates Christianity from every other religion. I mean, I guess there's a lot. It's sort of an absolutist statement, but it's one of the main things. Everyone in the in, in the world is is legalistic, even if they wouldn't give it to those terms. I mean, Buddhism is, you know, a religion that's trying to deal with the problem of sin. And they wouldn't descri describe it like that. They would describe it as the trying to reach nirvana, which nirvana is defined as the uh, the finally getting rid of uh, greed and hate and deception in their heart. I mean, that is, they're talking about sin, and they want to achieve that nirvana. And to get to that nirvana, it requires a lot of hard spiritual work and many lifetimes of it. And I, if you sit and you meditate and you, you I heard one one guy that I've uh, had the pleasure of, of talking to, uh, with about this the last few weeks about, um, you know, these issues and and you get your meditating stripes, then then spiritual pride is a big problem. You you earned your nirvana. You know you have really really earned it. But in in Christianity, I know that what's happened to me, the love that I have for people and my desire to help people, is not a love that I authored at all. It was something that God gave to me and he's been growing in me uh, proportionate to my obedience to him. And as it grows, I'm even more and more aware that this new love, this new desire to um, to be good and to love the things of God and to hate sin, it's not mine. I'm, I'm very aware that it's not. I don't have any pride in that. Uh, I could have pride in a lot of other things, but not in the this new thing that's happening to me. And I think that's what makes Christianity so different is that, that uh, I was saved and given the Holy Spirit to change me because of faith, not because I um, did this, got clean before I got it, um, but rather I was made clean because I got it. Now, new Christians are particularly susceptible to false doctrine of all kinds, not just legalism, but most false doctrine, especially for new Christians, takes the form of legalism because Satan is kind of like, okay, well, I lost the war. They're saved, but I'm going to battle them. And if they are going to believe this, then I'm going to make them believe a wrong version of it. Because if I can get them steeped in legalism and, and elitism, which is what legalism might as well be synonymous with, then um, sometimes, then uh, they can lose their joy. They are not bearing fruit. They're very ineffective. And in extreme cases, they uh, they can lose all, you know, if they reject, I've known certain cases of legalism that led to an individual renouncing Christ and renouncing his Christianity. And the, the sad thing about that is that although I believe once saved, always saved, uh, I certainly think that God is a perfect gentleman. And if you if you want to leave his flock, then he'll let you. And that's a very dangerous situation. I think that's discussed in things like Hebrews and other places. But uh, moving on, the good thing about this attack from Satan of legalism right at the beginning is that it most often doesn't work. In my case, it was messi Messianic uh, Ju Judaism when I was, and I mean, I did this all on air, so there's a little bit of a little bit of record of this in the, in the archives. Some of them are probably still online, I would think. That you know, when I first really started getting into this. Christianity thing, um, Ju Messianic Judaism was really appealing because it was playing on my zeal. I was very zealous at that point. 
And, you know, I was handing out DVD tracks and all this stuff. I was just really on fire for the Lord. And I was susceptible to Messianic Judaism because I was like, well, I just want to do everything I could possibly do that would that the Lord wants me to do. And, you know, if he want, I mean, if I can do more, like, you know, start eating kosher and, you know, all the stuff, then even even better. And yours might not be a Messianic Judaism. Maybe it was uh, the Sacred Name Movement or the Seventh-day Adventism. Somebody sent you some Walter Vaith uh, or some, uh, you know, some variant of Sabbatarianism or, or things like that. We in the conspiracy Christian world are, are particularly susceptible to a lot of things like um, um, the Sacred Name Movement and stuff like that because we have this conspiracy bone in our body. And I, I was just talking about this with Mike from the Tim and Mike show who's planning on doing – something similar to this, talking about the the nature of um, searching, especially for those of us coming out of the truth movement, which I, I think that we are really great Christians once we get our everything all in line and everything, because we're really sold out believers. We love the Lord. We want to be here. You know, it's it, the people on the Revelations Radio Network are just a, a wonderful fellowship. I mean, I, I'm so lucky to be able to be uh, in fellowship with such great sold out believers that know a lot of stuff about, you know, a lot of spiritual matters and a lot of worldly matters. So I, I'm, I'm, I think that we're a great group, but we're also particularly susceptible to some other things that I think some people aren't. We tend not to be deceived by a lot of the kind of church denominations that tend to get uh, people involved in this stuff like, uh, you know, Worldwide Church of God or Philadelphia Church of God or these things like Mormonism or all these obviously legalistic sort of organizations because most of us are really, really apprehensive of organized religion and stuff like that, which I would also say that because uh, of Jesus and his, and his so much time spent with the Pharisees, and talking about it, he literally was probably one of the most anti-religious people on the face of the earth. He, uh, as I've said many times, I got this from Chuck Missler, he spoke, uh, nothing, had nothing but compassion for every low-down person he came into contact with, except for uh, the religious clergy of his day and some tax collectors and uh, and bankers, I guess you could say, what the money changers were. But... Um, so I guess what I'm trying to say is that these particular things, uh, like a guy named Final Call 07, I I have really had this on my heart for a long time. These these things that happen to new Christians because, um, you know, I get to talk to a lot of new believers and uh, and I, I've seen this happen a whole lot. Very rarely, as I mentioned, thank God this doesn't doesn't really take a lot of times. People. Um, are always hit with it, but they seem to make it out of two recent examples. I had a guy who was ostensibly saved through the sleep paralysis videos and stuff like that, and he was uh, very zealous, but got into a few different things. This um, Final Call 07 guy on YouTube is... I have no idea how that guy keeps showing up in, in all these people that uh, I end up talking to, but, but they always find this guy. He's the guy that... Uh, he speaks in a sort of, I guess, English accent or something like that. He's got a beard and he's always, uh, he's basically a sinless perfection guy that you need to be sinlessly perfect or, and then God's going to like you a whole lot better. But, um, we'll talk a little bit about that in a minute, but the, that particular guy, just, just such a sad state of affairs. I mean, he's, he's just extremely, uh, doesn't have any joy, not bearing any fruit, very lost, I would say, because, of this extreme elitism and it turns into something where, you know, I'm now right and everybody's wrong. 
the same thing happened. Uh, well, a good a good example uh, is another guy I've been um, uh, talking with for months now from Australia, who has become you know a really great uh, friend and and we've been just he's just an amazing guy, amazing story. But uh, you know, former militant type atheist. I wouldn't say militant, but he was definitely on board with the uh, whole atheism thing. But uh, this guy radically saved, wonderfully changed um, immediately after hit with um, Seventh Day Advent and stuff. This Final Call of Seven stuff really, really um, soaked it in. This guy can really soak in some information and um, varying things. Uh, you know. I, his his own sort of natural gift of the Holy Spirit at this point gave him enough discernment to recognize there wasn't some, there was something a little wrong with it, and we talked about it a little bit and things like that. But there's always going to be an attempt, is what I want to try to get get to you. If you're uh, if you are a new Christian, beware that you are not going to be the exception to this. You will be hit with false doctrine. That it will come soon. And it will come heavy, and it will try to get you to believe uh, that you must do, 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 do. Now, here's the other part of that, that there is some truth to it. The, the other extreme of this is, of course, the, the false version of uh, grace, where people say, oh, you know, you don't, you're saved by grace. Continue sinning, you know, that grace may abound. I mean, exactly the words that Paul uh, uh, followed up with. God forbid. No, that's not what I'm saying. Do you hear anything I said? I mean, the people cherry pick certain ver- verses about grace to justify their sin. And it, there's no um, conviction of sin. There's no there's no attempt to to change. There's no um, repentance. Of course, that's wrong. Of course, it has nothing to do with it. But um, don't let somebody point to that and tell you that that's the um, opposite of what their teaching or something to that effect, you know, that, that look at what they're doing and they're all just, you know, continuing to sin. Of course that exists out there and that's terrible and it's a terrible heresy and it's manipulating God's word to justify sin, but it's not, doesn't mean therefore that their, um, extreme legalistic different version is is the answer to that. The answer to that is good doctrine. The, The Bible is not silent on this by any stretch of the imagination. Galatians 5, verse 13 says, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serving one another. Paul, especially in this book of Galatians, um, which is a, a church that was so legalistic, you know, well, yes, we are saved by grace, but um, we better we better go ahead and do some of these other laws too, just to make sure extra, we're, extra sure we're saved, you know. And that is the, you know, it may not look like it there, but it's really not understanding the gospel because if, if that was, it was, it was Christ and his work on the cross plus other stuff, even if it's to keep your salvation, then it's misunderstanding the gospel. But of course, as Paul is here in Galatians five and many other places, he is always quick to say, what, don't use this occasion for the flesh. Um, he would say things like, do we then go on sinning because, um, you know, all things that would be legal for us? No, no. We would say, God forbid, I think some of the translations put it. And the God forbid part is the thing that scares a lot of legalists. They say, well, you know, we can do it. They're saying that you can do all this stuff, but 
um, you know, they just don't want to. They don't understand the the process of being regenerated, being changed, your heart being changed to you genuinely don't want to anymore. When, when he says, um, God forbid, don't do it, um, he is he is sort of presupposing a knowledge of this changed man. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Behold, all things have passed away. Um, all things have become new. Does that mean that um, that we want those things to, you, you got to work to make all, you know, to be a new creature? Or are you a new creature? Now, the new creature has a lot to learn, and it's got a lot to grow and, and everything else, but it's still a new creature. It becomes a new creature. It's a baby new creature. It's got a lot of stuff to learn. It's going to stumble and it's going to fall on its way to being an adult new creature. But it is a new creature, and new creatures act a different way. And that is um, what what Paul would say in all these things. He's certainly not silent on it. And he actually calls in a lot of places, the the, the people he calls weak of faith are those that... Um, um, are the legalist. It's evidence of weak faith in, in, in a lot of ways. He says in Romans 14, one person has faith that he may eat all things. Uh, this is speaking of the dietary laws. Of course, in, in the Jewish world, this was a very, very big thing. To be told that all of a sudden pork was um, clean uh, was really hesitantly accepted. Although Paul would say, no, not all things are beneficial, but all things are um, uh, uh, are legal for me. Um, so he would say, of course, and I would say to you right now, pork is probably not the most healthy thing in the world. God probably has a really, some really good reasons for us not eating pork, but um, it is not a legalistic thing anymore. Um, he says, one person have faith, faith has faith that he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats vegetables only. And he goes on here to, you know, say that the person who eats is not to regard with contempt the one who doesn't eat, and the one who does eat is not, or doesn't eat, is not to judge the one who eats, for God has accepted them. And it goes to talk about these matters of the heart, which is what this is all about. Um, and then, what do we say of these verses that say, you know, if you love me, keep my commandments, and all these sort of things that imply that we should stop sinning? Well, here, here's the deal: stop sinning. <laughs> I mean, it's not a big deal. Um, it, 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 but does that mean that you must stop sinning perfectly and maturely in order to uh, be accepted by God? Or is it saying simply stop sinning? I mean, Romans 12 verse 2 says, I think it best when it says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. You are to be transformed by the renewal of your mind. You should be focused as you have been given this new power over sin and death. It's no longer a bondage. We used to be in bondage to sin. Uh, if we would try to quit it, we might quit it, but it would still burn inside of us, even if we did successfully quit that which really had a hold of us. We've been given freedom over that, that if we truly resist it, if we turn away from it with a uh, you know, um, diligence and a pure heart, God is going to take it from us. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. I can tell you from personal experience that that has happened with some very big sins in my life. These big, these big problems that I had in my life are taken from me. My heart doesn't even desire them anymore. Um, that doesn't mean that every once in a while an arrow doesn't get through and, um, and these kinds of things where I'm still tempted. I may even stumble a little bit on some of the issues, but, uh, but, the occasions are so far and few between, and they're getting further and further apart, even the arrows themselves. 
So um, there is a progression that we are told. And these verses that, that people on the legalistic side cherry pick and say, look at this. Jesus says, keep his commandments. How do we know those people that are Christians? Well, they keep their commandments. Do you know what that means? Do you know what he's talking about there? He's talking about if somebody says, um, they, which they had a great deal of problems with, especially in John's day, which you'll read a lot about this in 1 John and things like that, where he's saying, um, well, hey, I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian, brother. I, I, I'm, your, I'm your brother. But at the same time, they are habitually in some sin. Um, maybe it is. Uh, drunkenness is mentioned in one of them. Um, now, people, a legalist will say, look, there, there it says, you know, drunken, you know, drunkenness is one of those, those qualities that says, you know, you can't enter the kingdom of heaven if you're drunk and if you're drunk. So it, it, and what does that mean? If, if that means if you are in a habitual state of drunkenness, if you are, um, a total alcoholic and you have shown no signs of change, um, for years and years and years, and yet you're claiming to be a Christian, I would have good grounds to say I don't think something's working uh, right because that's one of those things that uh, will begin to change if you truly repent. If you really repent and desire to turn away from that stuff, those, that's one of those things that God will take away from you. Um, not just that. The same thing with severe you know, sexual morality that are mentioned in those lists of things that you uh, are not to do. They are, um, if somebody is saying, I'm a Christian, and yet they are have never made any change in their in their sexual immorality. Let's say they're sleeping around or, you know, whatever it might be, that that's evidence that you have ground to say that fruit is not uh saying that you are a Christian. I mean you I know that you're claiming to be a Christian, but um but on the other hand, does that mean that if somebody was just be, just became a Christian um, was caught up in any one of those particular sins that I just mentioned or a whole host of others that are mentioned and they are being changed in the process of their heart. They are, they are obviously being changed slowly sometimes for some people, quicker for other people. I think the reason why some people change quick and some people change slow is directly related to their obedience. If you are more uh, obedient to the Lord at the beginning, you will change faster. If you were like me, my, my change was more gradual because I was hesitant, um, to be obedient at first, and I continued to harbor a lot of sins. It took um, it took a while for a lot of uh, sins to really go away, even though they were gradually leaving more and more and more. I could see the change. That's one of the things that really surprised me. Is like, okay, why am I not wanting to do this stuff anymore? And it started making me desire to take it on. Okay, I feel like I don't want to do this anymore to to a high degree. I'm starting to. Given this new hatred of sin, the, the hatred of sin is new. That's yours. That's that's God-given hatred of sin. Something you couldn't do on your own. You might feel guilty of sin, but you're not going to hate your sin. You're not going to start to despise and loathe it and want to turn away from it and follow hard after the Lord to repent and turn away from it. That doesn't mean that um, further down the line I might stumble in one of those sins that I've long since destroyed. Does that mean that I'm now going to go to hell because I sinned? No, you and you, it would have missed everything about the gospel if that's the way that you view that. Um, again, this this charge: be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. When it when it when it talks in Galatians about walking in the Spirit, what's the fruits of the Spirit? It lists this wonderful list of things that should be showing up in your lives. These these things that are evident. 
um, in the life of a believer. And to walk in the Spirit is something that you decide to do on a daily basis. You can walk in that Spirit or you can walk in the flesh. Um, we should be trying diligently to walk um, in, in the way that Christianity for many years uh, in its inception and uh, several times in the Bible, it calls Christianity the way. It is um, a way in which you walk. And um, there is stopping sinning is a, the message, a great message of the Bible. Follow Jesus and he wants you to stop sinning. But if you are to understand the gospel, you, all, you must understand that in the midst of this absolutely authoritative uh, commands to stop sinning is uh, a huge safety net for us um, that makes this tightrope walk that we are definitely charged to walk. It makes it, I'm not going to say less risky or easier or anything else, but try to think of that 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 net that's going to catch us if we stumble and it's going to bring us back up to the tightrope again and, and point down the tightrope and say, see how much further you can get down this thing next time. Um, that, that net is love. That net is grace. That net um, is how we got on the tightrope in the first place. Um, the net, <laughs> if it wasn't for the net, we wouldn't even be uh, having the opportunity to to walk the tightrope. We wouldn't have, if it wasn't for being saved by grace and continuing in grace. Um, but the, the fear of the legalist is that grace means you can do anything that you want and you can continue continue sinning. That That's not true if you've really been saved, if the Holy Spirit is present in your life and is is is, is going to finish the work that it starts in you. You know, is the is the word true? If you if you really have the Holy Spirit, it's going to finish a work. It's not going to it's not going to stumble. Um, I love the illusion of Jesus as the shepherd, because sheep, I'm told, are very um, prone to finding a hole in the fence. If you don't have a good fence in your sheep pen, they will find a way out, and they need a shepherd not just to save them from the the predators. Um, but also to save them from their tendency to leave the flock. Jesus is the shepherd. Is he a good shepherd? I would think he's probably a decent shepherd. You have the illusion of him going and finding the one sheep that went away, putting it, putting it around his neck and, and, and bringing it back. I would say that he, if we're in his hands, he says, none are going to be plucked out of the hand, my, my hand that the Father gave me. The Father gave him a certain amount of people and said, none of them are going to get plucked out of my hand. No man can pluck them out of my hand. Well, I'm no man. I'm a person that could pluck myself out of his hand. Um, what I'm trying to say, I guess, is that our salvation is secure. Whether or not you're saved is the question. Um, I think that there's another issue to talk about that altogether. You probably know that I have a very um, uh, view of salvation that is, is one a lot like um, Paul Washer or somebody like that. And that is that you know, if one is if one is saved, one will know that they are saved based on the the fruits in their lives. That that's the biblical way to determine whether or not you are saved. And a lot of these verses that legalists point out and say, "Look, um, you must do this and this and this to be saved." Uh, it's actually interesting. Uh, it's interesting that the truth is just the exactly the opposite of what the legalist would say. 
um, reverse this 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 word, and you'll have both sides of the coin. One one group says good works result in salvation. The other side says salvation results in good works. Absolutely different uh, ideas. Good. One person looks at a verse that says, you know, this this if you're this and this and this and this and this, you're not going to you know see the kingdom of God. And one says, okay. Here we got five things that we need to do. We can never do this. We can never do that. We can never do that. Everybody start never doing this. Ready? Start. And they're working on never doing any of those four things that are mentioned in that verse. And they're trying to do the reverse. They didn't understand the verse. It's not that good works will result in you seeing the kingdom of God, as the verse says. But it's rather that, that if you are saved, you will see those fruits in your lives. And if you don't see them, there's... There's good reason to question that. Now, here's the, here's the big issue. In when you preach uh, this particular, when you preach biblical salvation, when you preach this, you oftentimes get people saying things like, "Well, you know, I've been repenting, and you, I don't think I'm doing it enough. I don't feel really that convicted of my sins. I want. I've been trying and praying to feel convicted of my sins. Uh, I don't." feel like I've been saved. Um, how do I do it? And that is the inevitable consequence of, of that. So let me play a real quick clip from a guy who um, I think should know and probably gets this question quite a lot, which is Paul Washer, who answered this, this and I think it's, a really, it's really important that you that are thinking that hear this. Now, let's talk about this for a moment because there's something that's, that's been bothering me in the last year or so with the uprise of so much good theology and people taking true conversion seriously, I think there's also a problem. I have so many people who come to me and they doubt the assurance of their salvation because in their scrutiny of their own repentance, they're expecting, they're almost demanding that the saving repentance be the repentance of a mature believer of 30 years. They scrutinize every aspect of their life, and if they don't look like a Puritan, they say, I can't be converted. What you need to understand is repentance in its initial seed is simply a changing of the mind. God is all. I need Him. You say, that's it? Can be. I can't save myself. I'm lost. I need a Savior. You say, well, but, but the Bible describes repentance in so many ways. Yes, it does, but are you expecting a full-blown repentance the very second God begins to work in your heart? As I study repentance in Scripture, I look back at the moment I was converted and my repentance was a very singular thing. I need to be saved. But now after 25 years as I grow in Scripture, the repentance matures and deepens. But you err, young person, when you scrutinize your life to wonder whether or not you're saved and you're looking for repentance that can only be found in someone who's walked with God for, for decades. I hope I'm making myself clear. I believe in repentance. But repentance can merely mean I'm falling and I can't save myself. It's turning from self-worth. It is turning from ability. 
And I think that's a really good point. I think that that hopefully is for somebody out there to let them think about that for a little bit. Another thing I wanted to help a lot of you new Christians in your discernment about whether or not something is true or or not, because as I mentioned, you're not going to be the exception. You're going to get attacked with false doctrine too really early. The good news is that the Holy Spirit is going to be protecting you from a lot of that before you can uh, defend yourself. How do you defend yourself is the same way that um, people can tell if a dollar bill or a hundred dollar bill is is counterfeit or not, and that's by studying the real thing. You have to understand doctrine yourself, and then all this stuff bounces off you. Satan knows that. That's why he comes at you quick uh, with all this stuff to see if he can get you started in it, because if he can get you started in one of these legalistic things, you know, I've got a list here of the different types of stuff, then, then you can disregard good doctrine and you'll never really, when you see good doctrine in the future, you will essentially pretend it's not there because you've been taught some system for dealing with good doctrine when it comes up. So what I would suggest is to, and here's another thing. People, people think that, you know, good doctrine is something that, you know, you have to really, really be diligent to, to get it all right. But I think that it's the opposite. You have to be diligent to get it wrong. Because I think that the Bible does not read in such a way that lends itself for people to get it wrong on their own. I think somebody that's reading the Bible on their own will get it right. That I, I think it's helpful and, and necessary to find good teachers along the way, especially as you are looking for, as you're reading the Bible or, or listening to it or whatever, and you're looking for answers to a particular thing. Jesus says something out of the blue that you're like, what the heck is he talking about? You know, even his disciples are saying, what are you talking about? I can't, you know, if that's the case, I, I always recommend to go find a good commentary about it. You know, go find one of these old commentators from years ago about what that verse means. And always, always a good rule of thumb is to find two, not just, not because they would differ. Oftentimes they don't differ in the interpretation of those things, but rather they bring out different aspects of it that uh, the other one might not have mentioned because the, the word is so deep. But in that process, you're going to um, realize that it's, it's your, that God gives you a, a sense of who he is and his heart before you even read it. I noticed that for a while I felt like I understood the heart of God in doctrinal matters when somebody would say something I would I would say I don't think that that's that's right I I tend to think that uh, so and so and such and such and I may have never read that before or or whatever but it just seemed like I was getting nudged that stuff was wrong before and then later on I'd read it and be like hey hey look 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 there it is in black and white um and I think that we all have that and it takes it takes you fighting that to believe wrong doctrine. Um, so uh, there's another thing. Uh, kind of, I alluded to this a little bit, but uh, this sort of elitism, but specifically the um, other, the church's wrongism. Church's wrongism is a good uh, word. And I think that you'll see this in a lot of false doctrine. It's always a good red flag to keep up. If you're listening to somebody on YouTube or whatever and something, something, and their entire platform 
is um, that the the church has got it all wrong, and they they always referring to it. They're never really getting on other subjects. They're not really talking about the word of God or other subjects. It's always the church is wrong. The church is wrong. These churches today, this church down the street, this church here and that church that, um, I was mentioning this with Mike, who I was talking to, uh, from, uh, from, uh, the Tim and Mike show about this, which was that, um, I think that really when you hear that, it should be evidence that something's wrong. I'm not saying that they might have a, not have a point, when they do that, most of the time they're trying to sell you some, put themselves on a pedestal because if you, if they, all the churches are wrong except for them, that means that there is some, they're a part of like an elite group that, you know, there's going to be them in heaven and they're, whoever goes to their website and then everybody else is pretty much, pretty much, uh, out of luck. And that's, that's really what it comes down to. The more people you can exclude, the more elite your group gets to be. And it's just a simple old trick that has been used time and time again. Now, there are times, of course, that the churches are, uh, for the majority, wrong about certain things, and that's a sad state of affairs. But usually when you hear somebody talking about that, they will say it with uh, a great deal of humility and pain. Um, in the in the commentaries I've heard, and I've listened to a bunch of preaching, whenever a preacher, a good preacher, says something like that, they almost every time preface it with, you know, I don't really like talking about this or I don't want to be one of these guys or whatever, but, you know, a lot of the churches today don't even preach this or something to that effect. It's it's usually a sense of remorse when they talk about that, not, not a sense of glee. So try to stay weary of those guys. They might be okay. I'm not saying everyone, everybody that does that is wrong, but I'm saying that there is a lot. It's a red flag because... It's not about which church or, or whatever. I mean, there are saved people in every kind of denomination. Some of them have more of a percentage of saved people than others. Uh, but it's a matter of the heart, and every church in America has people in it that aren't saved. Unfortunately, that's just the way that it goes. It's it's. I mean, maybe there are some. I'm sure there are some where everybody's saved. But anyway, you get the point. So the last thing that I wanted to do is to talk about a issue that is pretty much unrelated. I don't know. It's, it's, it's related, I guess. And that is Calvinism and free will predestination. This issue, I've been getting a ton of emails about this. Um, I think it's probably, I don't know why it is, but that I've been getting a lot of emails about this. So I'm going to talk a little bit. And I know that Mr. Washer there is a Calvinist. I think he's called himself a, four and a half point Spurgeonist before. I think he probably has a lot to, um, I, I, I don't know. I don't know what his personal situation is. I'm sure he believes it. I think that Calvinism is different than hyper Calvinism. I think that the most of the charge against Calvinism is that, you know, they think that, uh, it's all predestined. And so what's the point of evangelizing? But that charge doesn't really play out when you see that a lot of, you know, the Calvinisms of doing more for Calvin, Calvinists are doing more for evangelism uh, right now than than any group, bar none. So that that doesn't always add up. But it, here's the way I kind of view it: that in terms of free will, and and I don't, I tend to take little bits and pieces from groups that I think work. There are lots of parts of Calvinism that I agree with. 
and lots of parts of Calvinism I disagree with. Um, I don't think that any group in America has no truth, and I don't think any group in America has uh, no error. That's kind of the problem with joining a group and putting a label on yourself is because a group, when they form or at some at some point during their formation, they feel the need to address every issue. Like, okay, well, what are we going to believe about X or Y or Z? And we'll say, well, we believe hmm, that X is hmm, this way. And they write it down, and therefore, that's what they do. Now, everyone in this group, we all believe X is this way. Everybody got that? Yes. Okay. And that's the problem. They may have started out with great intentions. They may have been uh, trying to reform something or whatever. But by nature of them being a part of a group, they're going to be forced to get some stuff wrong. I think the best possible way is to uh, to be um, very committed to the Bible and recognize that it's not it's not really hard to to get a lot right um, as long as the Bible is your is your guide. That's why I like Calvary Chapel. I, I like I like sending new believers to Calvary Chapel, especially because I think it's a, a safe place for them um, that preaches verse by verse in the Bible, and they don't have doctrinal um, views other than the uh, you know the standard obvious good stuff. But they tend to take the you know they tend to be very doctrinally sound, not because they have rules and regulations, but because they go through the Bible and the Bible teaches them good doctrine. And if you're committed as a church, as the only real rule you guys have is that we're going to all preach verse by verse from the Bible. And I understand that some Calvary chapels don't, but for the majority does, uh, then you're going to end up having a lot of people that believe the same thing, not because they were told the rules to believe, but because they all study the Bible. Um, you know, I of course think that they do other things. I think that, um, you know, I would disagree on some minor issues, uh, eschatology stuff, but you know, who really agrees on eschatology anyway? I mean, that's certainly not a good reason for which church to pick. If you found a church that you agreed with in eschatology and that's why you're going there, not really solid footing. I mean, you, you want to find a church that you agree with, uh, you know, in terms of doctrine and then take what you can get in terms of eschatology. That, that being said, I, of course, would uh, prefer to have all of it, but it's sort of a pie-in-the-sky thing. I'm sure people in China and underground church take what they can get. Okay, so uh, the other thing, Calvinism and predestination and all this stuff, I think that you'll find this, that very advanced theologians that have been at this a long time tend to throw their hands up in the air and say, you know what? I don't know, and this is not that big a deal. But I, I tend to think that the reason why this is like something that gets debated about and people have absolutely strong opinions on either side is because they both have a good deal of truth on their side. I mean, that's, that's the, the secret behind every one of these issues that are divisive. Uh, Pre-trib, post-trib, uh, predestination, um, or free will. These arguments exist and continue to exist for one reason, and that is because they're both right and they're both wrong in certain points. The question is, do I like his wrong stuff, his problems better than I like my problems? 
You know, that's really what it comes down to. But when people ask me this question about pre-will versus destination, I tend to send them to the same place, to the same um, video that I put together of David Guzik's uh, talking about um, repentance. It's called the first word in the gospel. It's not so much the, that part of the video, but the end when he addresses the way that I feel about whether it's free will or predestination. So let me play that clip for everybody real quick. Scripturally speaking, is it proper to say that repentance is something that God does in us or is it something that we do for God? Do you understand the distinction here? Is repentance something that God does in us? Or is it something that we do for God? And the answer is yes. The answer is both. There is no doubt that repentance begins with God and that it's a gift. Acts chapter 5 verse 31. In Romans chapter 2 verse 4, it tells us that God leads us to repentance. At the same time, because of all the appeals to repent. In other words, when John the Baptist said, repent. When Jesus said, repent. When Paul said, repent. When Peter said, repent. The mere fact that they said it and appealed to the will of specific individuals to repent proves that there's something for us to do in repentance. God is not going to make a person repent against their will. He may move upon them so that they want to repent, but they will still have to exercise that wanting to repent and say, I repent. So it is a work of God in us, but it is a work that must be responded to. Now, we don't repent to earn salvation. That's not the idea. Your repentance does not earn salvation. Your repentance is not an act of cleaning yourself up before you can come to Jesus. That's not repentance. Repentance is coming to Jesus and saying, I want you to turn me in the right direction and I want to go that way. I want to forsake my sin. I want to leave it behind. I know this is what you want for me, Jesus. I want it too. And so I renounce my sin. I hate my sin. I loathe it. I don't want it anymore. I want it far from me. And so that about concludes this episode. And I hope that uh, you enjoyed it. If you want to hear more of that David Guzik clip, you can go to my YouTube page. And that one is called The First Word of the Gospel. If you want to hear more of the Paul Washer sermon, that actually came from about a 13-minute clip. And it's called Don't Expect a Perfect Repentance. And that's from I'll Be Honest. And uh, it's a division of Grace Community Church in San Antonio, Texas. And I hope that uh, this helped. And if you have any questions or anything, go to the contact page on the YouTube site. Again, really request your prayers and um, support for uh, the David Icke Project. It's uh, really needed. And also, um, if you want to sign up for the email list, you can do that as well as a new thing going on there at the website, NowhereToRunRadio.com. And I hope everyone has a great day, and we'll talk to you later. Bye. Thanks for listening to Nowhere to Run. You can download all of the archives to this show and others I have done for free at NowhereToRunRadio.com. Your prayers and donations are needed and appreciated. You can partner with me to reach many more people with discipleship, apologetics, and the gospel. Go to Nowhere to Run Radio to help support this ministry. 
Thanks for your time.